0: And so I wanted to continue on that this morning because, I don't know about you, but I I am incredibly grateful for the person that led me to Christ. I also understand that for other people to find Christ, somebody has to tell them about Jesus. But my problem is, and your problem is sometimes, is that we tend to shrink back from our responsibility to fish. We tend to shrink back from our responsibility to talk to people about God. And the reason is is because most of us simply are just afraid of doing so. We're afraid of the reaction we're going to get. We're afraid of the response we're going to get. And so rather than losing a friendship, we shrink back from talking to someone. Or rather than upsetting a parent, we shrink back from talking to somebody. And then, I don't know about you, but I found in my life that those moments where I have shrunk back from talking to someone about Christ that I should be doing, then the guilt sets in. Yeah? I had a friend that I went to school with, and uh, I had ample opportunity, if I'm honest with you, to talk to him about God, and I never did so. And about 15 years ago, he died in a car accident. And the guilt that I felt because I had opportunity and I never did it you know, I just hoped somebody else stepped up to the plate when I failed to. And so we tend to shrink back and then the guilt sets in. But here's the thing. We know that we should share the gospel, but we just get scared about it. But just to give you some comfort and me some comfort is what you ought to know is that the primary people of the New Testament were a bunch of cowards as well. Peter, you know, denying Christ to the little girl. Yes? Three times. Three times. Then there's the disciples at Gethsemane, all running for their lives, not sticking around to support Jesus. You know, there's, there's plenty of examples throughout Scripture where people have shrunk back from what it is that they know that God has called them to do. And, and I don't think that we should um, beat ourselves up or feel guilty about it. I just believe that hopefully this morning that you'll hear something that will help you so that you will get some... Boldness about fishing for men, because those guys that were cowards in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, became fishers of men. And last week we looked at the first part of chapter four, where, where Peter and John are, uh, Pe- yeah, Peter and John are called to to uh, stand in front of the the religious um, organization of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and and they were getting told off because they had gone to the gate beautiful. And there was a man who had been lame from birth, and they had, you know, prayed for him, and in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he walked, and they had a problem with that, because, you know, they don't like any of that, and so they bring him before to tell him off, and they basically say to them, hey, you can't go around talking about Jesus anymore. And Peter's response, I love his response, how can we not go around talking about what we have seen and what we have heard? In other words, I've experienced too much of God to be quiet about it. And you can command me to be quiet about it, but I'm just not going to be quiet about it. And so how did these guys get from this place where he's denying Christ to a little girl to where he's standing in front of the the religious government of the day and saying, I'm not going to be quiet about this. I'm going to talk about him. What what, what happened that created a boldness on the inside of him? When we pick up the story... In Acts 4.23, and it says that on their release, in other words, when they got released from standing before these religious people of the day, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices to give it in prayer to God. I love that, that their first response was not to criticize the religious leaders, was not to um, be fearful of what the religious leaders said. But once they heard what they'd said, they got together and they prayed. I reckon that's a great response, yeah? Prayer should be our first response, not our last priority, yeah? And so they get together and they pray to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, they're putting God in the right perspective Yeah, you've made everything. You're in charge of everything. You're the creator of everything. I don't know about you, but I need reminding sometimes that God is actually in control. Yeah, that He actually created me in the world that we live in. I didn't. Come on. Sometimes we've got to get out of the driver's seat. And then it goes on in verse 25. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one? Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So they're kind of letting God, reminding God that even though that these guys think that they crucified him, it's actually, it was the will and it was the power of God for that to happen so that we could have salvation and we could have relationship with him. And then I love the next verse because I think it sums it all up and it says, Now, Lord, once they reminded God how great he is and the work that he had done, it's like, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love that their prayer was, consider their threats. It wasn't, remove our enemies. It wasn't, remove the circumstance. Come on. I don't know how often I've prayed that God would remove my enemies when really what I should be praying is God, consider their threats and then give me great boldness. Because... Sometimes God uses our enemies to bring about his purposes. So, when the Jews were persecuted in the early church and they scattered because of the persecution all over the earth, God used that circumstance to spread the gospel through the world. Sometimes we think that an enemy's attack is not got God's hand on it sometimes. Sometimes God uses our enemies, as we heard this morning, what the enemy meant for evil, you turned it for good. Sometimes we pray so often that God would remove our enemies that we're actually getting in the way of what he's trying to create for us to be able to step upon and do something beyond our wildest dreams. And so they didn't pray, God, remove our enemies. They didn't pray, God, shut them down. They just pray God, consider their threats towards us. But we pray Not that we would worry about it, but that you would help us to speak your word even more with great boldness. I love that their response was not to be fearful, it was not to shut the enemy down, but it was to increase our boldness. Increase it. Here's a group of scared people whose lives are in jeopardy, yeah? And they are misunderstood by their community, And they didn't pray that the community would understand them. They didn't pray that the threats would decrease. They prayed that they would speak God's word with boldness. Why? Because they realized that God has invited us into the process of spreading the gospel and that you and I are players in the activity of a sovereign God. God has invited us to get engaged in this process. But here's the thing I want you to understand about boldness. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is not volume. Because we think boldness is volume sometimes. You know, if I talk a little bit louder, but more passionate. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is not yelling on the street corner every Friday night. Boldness is the quiet spoken lady at her workplace that says Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. Boldness is driving two and a half hours to see a loved one to tell them about salvation and Jesus so that you can see them in heaven. Boldness is the 35-year-old guy who knows his father refuses to talk about God and about religion but decides he's going to bring it up anyway because he wants to see his dad in heaven with him. Boldness is giving that book that you read to somebody even though it may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable so that you can have a conversation about what God is doing. Boldness is simply speaking up when the opportunity presents itself. It's not volume. It's just being aware of our opportunities and having the courage to speak. It's about realizing that you and I have been perfectly positioned in someone's life. That when the opportunity pops up, We can speak into that. That's what boldness is. See, the thing that frightened the religious people of the day in Jerusalem about the Christians was not their volume. They weren't going around shouting from the rooftops and they didn't have a sound system and cranking it up full bore. It wasn't their volume. What was intimidating was that even though these Christians might lose their jobs or they Might lose their place in society, or in some cases, they might lose their lives for standing up for Jesus. They insisted that when the opportunity arose, they would speak about him. That's what scared them. It was not the volume, it was the fact that that they wouldn't stop talking about him even when their lives were under threat. That's the kind of boldness. It wasn't them yelling and screaming, it was just Peter saying, Hey. I can't stop talking about what he has done and what I see that God is doing. And so the prayer that they prayed was really simple. God, enable me to speak your word with boldness. It's a prayer that all of us should be praying. God, enable me to share about you with boldness. Not just, not just walking into work on Monday morning and going, Hey, everybody, listen up. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about you in the smoko room having your lunch and some guy opens up that he's having some marriage problems and you see the opportunity to turn around and say, man, I've had some in the past too, but God really helped me in my marriage. That's that's the boldness that we're talking about. It's not. I, I, I got a friend of mine called Don McDonough, and he's a crazy, crazy evangelist. And I, I, would, I was about 18 at the time, and I'm traveling with him, which I decided I would never do again. Because we're at the airport, and you get into the elevator to go up, and you know when people walk into an elevator, they do this, don't they? They walk into the elevator, and then they turn around. We push our button. We wait to get to the right floor. Yes. It's what normal people do. Not Dominic Now He waits to get on last. He doesn't turn around at all. He looks at everybody. And out of his mouth, while we're in the elevator, it's like, if you died tomorrow, died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Let me tell you. And it's just like, and I'm just like, he, he's not afraid. It's his gifting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just having a boldness that when somebody mentions something to you, you see the opportunity to go, hey man, God really helped me through that. Can I pray for you? That's the kind of boldness that we're talking about. And when you start praying for boldness, two things are going to happen. You'll be more aware of the opportunities around you and you will face the fear that needs to be faced. You'll face the fear that needs to be faced. I remember a good friend of mine, I I knew I needed to talk to him about it, but I was so scared about talking to him about it because I didn't want to lose the friendship. And He knew that I was a Christian. He knew that I went to church. Tr- he knew all that stuff, but somehow I was scared that if I talked to him about Jesus, he wouldn't be my friend anymore. And, and I was so frightened about talking to him about it that when I finally got the courage to talk to him about it, when an opportunity arose, he said this to me, I've been wondering how long it'd take you to, before he started talking to me about this. I've been waiting for you to say something. How crazy is that? He goes, "Yeah, you know, I've been waiting because I need to. I've seen your life, and I need whatever it is that you've got going on in your world. I need in my world." And he was waiting for me. I want to encourage you this morning. It's like when you face that fear you'll be surprised how many doors open up to you. In fact, statistics tell us that something like 68% of people, if they were invited to church, would come, but only 3% of the church invite people to church. You see, Jesus put it this way, the harvest is ready, but the labor is a few. And we need a boldness to do. See, what I, I often ask myself this about me. Is it why do I fear when I'm following the sovereign God? Why do I fear when the God who's over everything has everything sorted and in place? Why do I fear talking to my friend about Christ? What's the worst thing that could happen? They could say no and their life not change as it already is. You see, God is in control as much today as he was back in the book of Acts. He's in in control today as much as he was then. And you and I, we have to get off the sidelines and become players in the activity of what the sovereign God is doing. The good news is this, is that God never intended us to do this alone. He intended us to do this where we partner together together to do it. And in Matthew 16, there's a story and it says, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon said, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by man. In other words, God's given you a revelation about this. But by my Father in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. Now there's been some confusion around this scripture because Peter means rock. And some churches and some people believe that what God was saying here is that the church will be built upon Peter. But that's actually not what he's saying here. He's saying that this revelation that Christ is the Son of the living God is the rock that all of this will be built upon. It is the foundation of what everything will be built upon. And it says here that the gates of hell shall not, or Hades will not overcome it. And so in this one single truth, he's saying that I am the Son of God. In this one single truth, I will build my church. In other words, this understanding that Christ is the Son of God is the foundational truth that everything about the church is built upon. And that word, build my church, in the Greek has a, has a tense to it where it's ongoing. It's not like I will build my church, but it's like I will, be, I will build my church and continue building my church all the time, every single day, every single moment, the building of the church is continuously going day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It actually never stops. It's just this thing where I am building upon this one thing that the Christ is the Son of the living God who takes away the sins of the world. And upon that, I will continually build the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, so that they can go out and fish for others, so that the church continues to be built. And he never intended us to do it alone. The word here, as I said, in the Greek, is the first time that this word church in the Greek, is the first time that it's used in regards to a religious context. Prior to that, throughout Scripture, that word ecclesia, the church, actually was a word described about citizens of a town or an assembly of people of a particular town together. It was used to describe that they basically, you belong to this town. You belong to Pukekaui or you belong to... Tuaco or you belong to Pocono or you belong to Te you, you belong. So it was a word used to describe the people that lived in a particular place. It's the first time Jesus uses this word in, in, in regards to religion or religious context. Why is Jesus doing this? Because Jesus is saying in this statement, he's really saying, I'm going to launch a movement based on that revelation. I'm going to launch a movement based on that. I'm going to build a brand new new group of people. I'm going to form a brand new congregation. I'm going to build a brand new citizenship. And the only common denominator for all those who join this party, for all those that become part of this, all of those who are going to be a part, that are going to join this congregation, that are going to join this assembly, that are going to be part of this citizenship, all those that join the common ground, Will not be their, it. Will not be their nationality that links them. It will not be their color that links them. It will not be their gender that links them. It will not be their language that they speak that links them. It will not be their denomination or their traditions that link them. The common ground will be this one statement: that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God. That is the one thing. That he will build his church upon. Doesn't matter what you are. Doesn't matter whether you are a male or female, servant or free. Doesn't matter what you are, what color, what race, what language you speak. The foundation of everything that God has built in the church is based upon this one statement. That Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And so it doesn't matter whether you're Anglican or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or whatever. At the core of our beliefs and our values is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's the thing that joins us. And we're not meant to be doing this alone. And here we stand, 2,000 odd years later, where 2.4 billion people around the world Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the original Son of the living God. Different uh, nationalities, different cultures, different languages, different traditions, different ways of doing music, different ways of doing church, different ways of doing all sorts of things. But if we all got them together in the one place, the common thing that we all have is that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. It's the foundation that everything else is built upon. It is the only thing that really matters to a world out there is that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. It is what we should all be holding on to. It should be the key thing that we dwell around, not whether we baptize people frontways, backwards, sideways, or upside down. Maybe no, we should try that next water baptism. Scrap people by their feet and just dunk them. The church is and has always meant to be a partner in the fishing process. So how do we, as this body, as this assembly, how do we partner with God in the fishing process? Well, the first thing is, is we need to create an environment where unchurched people feel comfortable in. A lot of things that we do in church life is, is actually not for the Christian. A lot of things that we do here, the lights, the music, all that sort of stuff, does it make God turn up any more than if we didn't have that? No. Does it make God heal people? You know, does God only heal when there's lights? Does God only heal when there's smoke machines? No. It is purely this. It is purely set up to create an environment that unchurched people feel comfortable in. It is, it is purely bait for those that don't know Him, that they can come into this environment and, and the lights go out during the, during the singing and you're kind of like, oh, I don't really like that, so that unchurched people don't feel uncomfortable. They're like, everybody's staring at them. Because unfortunately in church life sometimes, someone new comes to church and everyone stares at them. So let me give you some advice. Don't stare at them, go and talk to them. okay. If you're really worried about the coronavirus, don't shake their hand, just rub elbows. You'll be, you'll be fine. But we've got to create environments. Friday night, we do what we do on Friday night with youth, which is completely different than Sunday mornings. Why? Because we created creating an environment for unchurched teenagers to find Jesus. Why do we run Switch? Why do we do the kids' program? Why do we do anything we do in church? Why do we have people doing um, Bible in schools? I know it's called something else, Launchpad. Why do we have three youth workers in our schools? Why do, we, why do we do what we do overseas in Fiji and South Africa and Uganda? And why do we have uh, Tear Fund come last week? And by the way, everybody, 32 sponsors children last week. Fantastic. They told me that's the most sponsors they've got from any church in their church tour so far. So we're winning at something, yeah? Why do we do all that? We do all that for one reason and one reason only because we want other people to know that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and we want to create environments that doesn't put them off but draws them in. We give away Krispy Kreme donuts on Friday night not because we want to make your teenager fat but because we want to create an environment that draws them in. Come on. If you get unsaved people into a community of believers that are loving each other and caring for each other and being real Christians. Real Christians. Not the, hey, hey, dude! doing? Oh, great, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. You know, the Christianese language that we use. Hey, brother, hey, sister. It was basically Christianese for I don't know your name. I don't walk into walk into the supermarket and they go, hey customer. If we can create an environment where they come in and they feel like they belong, they feel like that they have value, they feel like that they're known, that kind of community breaks down the barriers of unbelief. How do I know That kind of community where people are real and we love one another and we have a smile on our face and there's joy in our hearts and we're just positive about life. How do I know that breaks down barriers? Because Jesus said it in John 13, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When when we treat each other well, when we love on each other, when we welcome people and we give them a big hug and we buy them a coffee or we do whatever it is that we're doing, when we have a smile on our face and say, it's so good to see you, that is a testimony to those that don't know him that they must be followers of Christ because of how they love one another. And we create these environments that they feel comfortable in and then they come into these environments and they see what it really means to be a follower of Christ and all of a sudden the barriers start to break down, people start to get free from everything. It says this in Matthew, it says, Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. In other words, when we come together like this on a Sunday, God's right here. You don't have to go looking for him. You don't have to find him. He's not lost. I've shared this before, but I say it again. I can remember once when I was praying in my room a long time ago. I would have been 19 years of age, and I'm, and I'm doing this whole kind of thing in this room. I'm like, God, where are you? Are you in that corner? Are you in that corner? You know, I'm trying to, it's like, you know, Marco Polo, is it here? <laughs> trying to find him, and I remember the Holy Spirit because I'm a bit stupid, so God's got to speak to me How I understand, right? So God kind of said to me, Idiot, I am the room. You see, we go looking for God when God is in everything. God is not down in the corner, God is all of this. The Bible says that the whole earth is filled with His glory, He's not somewhere, He is everywhere. And when we come together, even if two of you get together with an unsafe friend to have a coffee, Jesus is right there in the midst. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will become fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me, and you'll have all the answers to all of the questions. He just said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And I just want to finish this morning just giving you one thing that I believe that you can do that'll help you overcome that fear that we may have to be bold enough to see people come to church or come to your connect group or have a coffee with you or whatever it might be that you'll be able to share Christ with them. It says this in John chapter 1 that the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him follow me Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Beth... Oh, I don't even know how to say that. It's close enough. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? This is Philip's response. This is... This is these guys are like... Hey man, come and see the Messiah, come and see the Savior. This is the guy that the prophets have been talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. And the first response from Philip is, Nazareth? Nazareth? Because Nazareth was like, like an, a place where can anything good come out of Nazareth? I thought of a town right now, but I can't say it in case you live there. <laughs> okay, let me do it this way. It'd be like saying, Hamilton? <laughs> you can't tell me Hamilton is a place that you want to go for a holiday. <laughs> eh? Hey? Hamilton, city of the future. <laughs> <laughs> or, okay, let me put it this way. North Shore? <laughs> nah, just joking. Um, Ekatahuna? He's, really, he's basically saying, it can't be, it can't, he can't be the Messiah. If he's come from Nazareth, there's no way he's the Messiah. If he's come from Wauku, there's no way he's the Messiah. He's got six toes. <laughs> if you come from Waiuku, please forgive me. I just couldn't help myself. He's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Come on, man. Like if if Jesus was coming, if if he was the Savior of the world, he'd probably come from Pukekohe. And at a touch, just because Pastor David McGregor is here from Christchurch this morning, he might come from (laughs) Christchurch. Just to cover my bases. You know, like you're saying, can, how can anything good? And so you might have a response like, oh, man, church, really? Like, God, really? Come on, man, it's just a crutch for people, isn't it? And, and this is really what Philip is saying. He's saying, man, like, give me a break. Nothing good could come from there. If the Messiah was coming, he wouldn't come from there. And I love Nathaniel. I uh, love. Uh, Sorry, that was Nathaniel saying that, not Philip. Getting confused now. And I love Philip's response. Philip's response was this. Come and see. Come and see. It wasn't like, well, if we go back into the prophets and we do a breakdown of what the scripture actually meant and we pull out the Greek and we pull out the Hebrew and we do an exegesis of the scripture, you will find that he just said, mate, I know, I know you're having trouble believing this. Come and see for yourself. Come on, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Jay Johns, one of the greatest evangelists walking the face of the planet today, says this, evangelism is an invitation. It's come and see. Come and see. It's having enough boldness to say, come and see. Come and see. And if we become the body that God wants us to be, there will be a dynamic presence of Christ that is so overpowering that regardless of what people believe, and regardless of their rejections, and regardless of how they have gotten burnt in the past, there will be something in the atmosphere that would be almost irresistible as it was when Jesus walked the face of the planet where people couldn't Resist Him because of the presence and the power of God that walked on the planet Earth. And I'm telling you now that if we can become the church, the one that is knowing that we're followers of Christ, because of our love for one another, that people will come into this place and they might come with a whole lot of uh, reasons why God isn't real and why this can't happen. And I want to tell you that the presence and the power of God will melt every single one of those excuses. It'll melt every single one of those reasons. It will heal every one of their rejections because we've partnered with the presence of God. And all we've done is we've said, hey, come and see. Because the church should be the most powerful, persuasive environment on the face of the planet for the salvation and the goodness of God. And all we have to do, friend, is say, come and see. In other words, invest and invite. Invest and invite take someone out for a coffee, build relationship with them, pay for their lunch, make a connection, my old pastor used to say this to me all the time when leading people, he says make a connection before you bring correction and not correction of judgment but correction of direction because judgment binds people to their past but correction releases people into their future. And so all I'm saying is this, is that just invest and invite. Just say, come and see. Look, pray that God would give you boldness to see the opportunities and to just say, hey, man, you're going for a tough time in your marriage or whatever it might be? Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? I found God has had all the answers that I've ever needed. For every- Why don't you just, oh, it's not, really, it's not really my cup of tea, man. Just come and see. Just come one Sunday. It's just an hour and a half. Just Come and see. Come and see and get them into an environment where the Spirit of God will persuade them of the goodness of their Creator and their need for salvation of their Father, we thank you this morning. Come on.